coming together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. To resist bot live. Hey y'all, it is Sunday, February 13th, 2022. I'm your moderator, Melanie Dion, and this is Resist Bot Live. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Once again, we're back as we are every Sunday at 1 p.m. with our roundtable discussion about the issues impacting our neighbors. Just want you to remember that you can stream us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch or Twitter every Sunday. And if you're listening to us from a podcast, first of all, hello, hi, we're up every Monday. And if you want to join the conversation because you couldn't be in Facebook commenting, you can sign on wherever and use the hashtag livebotters and we will find you. So like I mentioned before, you can submit questions and or, or comments in the little commenting box. We will be more than happy to share them and answer them if need be. So let's talk about our topic today, defunding the police. It's a topic that we hear very often, and usually we get stuck in whether we should or should not without getting into what it actually entails. What are proponents of defunding the police actually talking about? What are the objectives? And you know, we love struggling in public, and we love getting answers to these questions from people who are smarter than us, which is once again, what we are doing today. And speaking of folks who are smarter than us, I am going to start bringing up my all-girl band once again. Um, we will start with Athena Foulet. Hi, Athena. Hello. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. There's a spot world. Live botters, how's it going? Hey, Mel. Hey, Athena. It's, it's you and me, Batman and Robin, today. All right. I like it. I like it. With- Dynamic duo. We're going to do it. We're going to, I think all of us have had a twosies now, because I think one week it was me and Christine and now finally me and you. So welcome. I don't play favorites, but you know, we always have a good time. So welcome. So we're going to have you once again on the comments with us. I am in the comment box. So please go ahead and throw your thoughts, concerns, any questions you might have for us and our special guest speaker. And thanks for plugging that earlier, Mel. If you're following us on Twitter or you just want us to see you across media, use the hashtag LiveBotters, and we will be sure to plug in with you there. And I would really love to see a lot of people, I know people have questions on this, so I would really love to see comments and questions because this is something that's really important when we start talking about police interaction, police violence, police budgets. There's a conversation on if they don't have these budgets, will they protect us? Will they save us? what happens when they are defunded. So rather than you and I just playing guessing games, we're going to talk to somebody who does the work. I think we're both very excited for this guest. We have Rhea Thompson Washington with us. Hi, Rhea. How y'all doing? Doing great. Great. Welcome. How are you? I'm peachy keen. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. I, I look forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. We were both, when I told Athena you were coming, she said, how you know Rhea? (laughs) (laughs) When I saw that you were coming, I was excited. I was going to be like, Athena is going to like this and I'm just going to surprise her. So first of all, thank you, Athena. And I know you, but some of our audience may still have to meet you. So can you tell us a little bit about you and your work with the United People of Color Caucus in uh, the National Lawyers Guild? Sure. So my name is Rhea. I use she, her, Aya pronouns. I have been an organizer and an activist for over 20 years across various industries. And I've mostly worked in with unions on electoral campaigns, doing elect- election protection work. And then I also am the co-chair currently of the United People of Color Caucus for the National Lawyers Guild, as well as Legal Worker of the Year. And so all of that means is that I do a lot of free work for folks and teaching folks how to resist state oppression, how to fight back and and 
organize their community members to be able to educate each other and have these conversations about the difficult things that we need to get through as community members. And as the National Lawyers Guild is uh, one of the oldest bar associations in the country, and it's the oldest racially integrated bar association in the country. So they've been doing this for over 80 years now, and I'm happy to be a member. When we talk about resisting uh, state oppression, one of those arms is the police. I think the arm that we're most familiar with in our day-to-day lives are the police because, you know, no matter where you are, you see them. So can we talk a bit about your history, how you got to the point, because you are an abolitionist. So can we talk about how you, what planted the seed for abolition work? I want to talk about, I want to hear about two things. What planted the seed and what really lit the fire and galvanized you into doing this work? I didn't realize that I was an abolitionist for a really long time. I knew that police were harmful. I know that every time I've had an interaction with police, they were incredibly harmful to me. But I also knew that, like, I'd been sexually assaulted by police in police custody, right? I have had them not listen to me or other people when I see harm happening or we're trying to diffuse situations that are happening in community. And so I think that was one of the first things that helped me get activated was experiencing police violence by my, for myself and um, my friends experiencing it as well. And then as I got older, I had been, like I said, organizing for a really long time. So I interacted with police in many ways, mostly at like picket lines or at direct actions where police officers are, you know, harming protesters who are getting into the streets, exercising their First Amendment rights. And so when I went to law school in 2014, I wasn't an abolitionist. I thought that I was going to use the law and learn the law to be able to get inside of this process and help you know, change from the inside. And in law school, I realized that the law works exactly the way that it's supposed to. And because it works the way that it's supposed to, there's actually no solve for what the system that we have now, right? The only thing that we can do now is kind of scrap what we have and start over is what I would recommend. I realize that's scary for some folks, but we need to start thinking about ways that we fix a system that is working the way that it's designed, but isn't meeting the needs that we need it to to have, right? It's not helping keep us safe. It doesn't, it's not a justice system. It's an injustice system, an injustice system. And so I got this start by, you know, starting with labor union organizing, with being in the streets as a queer Black woman. You know, my personal, my life led me to this space because I've interacted with police in a lot of different ways and none of them have been helpful. None of them have been safe. And I think we can do better than that. One of the things, because I've seen a lot of like videos because you're you're deep in this work and seeing not just you out there protesting, but dealing with people who want to get physical. I would like to talk very specifically about your experience as a protester and what's that, what that's like when you are protesting, when you are exercising your First Amendment right and dealing with counter protesters. Can you talk a bit about how the police have been a hindrance to safety in situations like that? I think the most recent, I was going to say the most recent case of that would have been like what happened in Charlottesville, right? Where we saw police officers literally allow white supremacists to form police lines in front of them, you know, take positions on top of buildings like they were actually acting as a police force. But then I thought about like January 6th last year also just happened, right? And so the thing is, is that in my experience as a police officer, police are not there to de-escalate, that they're not there to keep safe. They're there to, you know, exercise law and order to them, which really ends up being like violence and harm to the people who are out in the streets. And so, I have found that it's best to have someone who is designated to be a police liaison if you're going to have someone. If you're going to be protesting, the National Lawyers Guild has a model of a mass defense that uses legal observers. You should reach out to your local chapter and find out if you can get legal observers to help observe the actions of the police at protests, because that role then helps put the eyes back of the community on the police to say, hey, we see what you're doing and we're not okay with the way that you're treating our community members, each of us. 
and we're going to do something to take steps um, to try to remedy that. Fantastic. This makes me, <laughs> it's, it's my favorite pastime. This makes me want to go up, go back just even a little bit more when we start talking about the origin of policing and how almost at its foundation, this was this sort of combination of the old watchmen and people who were going on slave patrols. So from the beginning, the purpose of policing was to keep Black people under control. And it's at this point very much baked in the cake. When we first started talking, I talked a bit about a failure of imagination to not conceive of a world without police. And and you countered that, you kind of pushed back on that. And you mentioned that it's not exactly a personal failure when we can't imagine this world without without police. We're we're geared for a world that there's crime and punishment. That's the society that we live in. So when we start talking about defunding the police, can you talk about some of the biggest misconception or misconceived pushback that you get as an abolitionist that you want to make sure you say that loud and clear for our audience and anyone who can hear it? We have an hour, right? Okay. So I'll try to (laughs) narrow it down. Okay. So yeah, it was uh, interesting because when we talked and you said that you had a failure of imagination to envision a world without police, I just remember being struck and I'm still struck and still ruminating over that concept because I think that's part of what people are, you know, resistant to that they haven't considered what it would be like to have a world without police, right? They haven't considered what it would be like to create a different safety setup, like a a safety agreement, right? And so people are always like, whenever I have this conversation, oftentimes with friends, you know, at like before pandemic at dinner parties or post pandemic on Zoom gatherings, and like people are asking about, well, how are we going to defend, you know, how are we going to abolish police or how are we going to defund police? And then they say, you know, what about rapists? And it's like, oh, cool. Talk to me about how police are actually keeping you safe from rapists now. And the answer is they're not. Police aren't keeping our neighborhood safe. They're not keeping us safe. They're not protecting anything. If anything, police protect property. And most of the crime that happens in the country isn't even like violent assault crime. It's property theft or theft and things having to relate to property. And so that makes me think about well, why are people, you know, taking and stealing things? Like, why are people stealing food? Why are people stealing resources that they need? And it's because that there's a lapse in our community elsewhere about what people need as resources to be able to survive. So it's always, you know, what about the violent crime? What about the rapists? What about the murderers? What about the killers? And it's like, I just like to know what world you're living in where the police are protecting us from that now. And I haven't seen that. And then the other thing is because we know how harmful policing is, like most victims of violence don't even call them because then they have to prove why they were harmed or how they were harmed or that they were harmed or it becomes a a game of like what the, the victim was wearing or what they were doing or who they were with and all of these other things. So the reality of the situation is, is that we don't live in a the society now where police keep us safe. Um, we don't live in a society now where police prevent crime. Even if a crime happened literally in front of a police officer, they would. There's nothing that they could really do or would do um, about that. And so, yeah, we need to rethink what this punitive um, state of like punishment assessment is, right? And like figure out how we harness some of the compassion that we should have towards each other to figure out what we do to solve the the problems of our community and society that don't involve putting people in cages. When we talk about alternatives to defunding, can you give a glimpse on what type of uh, social services would be in place? Because as we, there's still a need when we look at crime, et cetera, there is a societal need for change. Where would some of those funds that were going to the police, where would those go instead? Did you want to weigh on this or dig a little deeper on this, Athena? Sure. Just this idea that I think you're absolutely right. Who are they here to protect and serve? They're here to protect and serve property in a large majority of these cases. And and when you're talking about law and order, we've seen that the law has failed a lot of citizens in this country. The law and order protects a particular status quo 
So in the end, if you're talking about, if you're defining policing or if you're defining the police force as a means to protect a community and to support a community, that's clearly this model isn't working. So if we were to abolish this, and if we were to explore what exactly a future without the police could look like. I understand you're absolutely right. Any kind of, I'm an abolitionist as well. And when I hear people talk, everybody just gets a little nervous about this. What could this look like? What will this sound like? Who will I call when something happens? So then what can we as a community do to build a foundation with which that gap is less of a jump for people to realize? What can we start to implement now to, to build these structures before we burn down the house, what can we build in the meantime to help us to this transition to a better world where everybody feels supported and has the resources that they need and where um, we're not under this illusion that the police are here to do anything other than to protect and serve property and to sustain law and order for a select segment of society. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's I think that people want abolitionists to have the answers. And I, I think I shared this with Mel the other day that, you know, as an abolitionist, I don't think of myself as the answer person. I think of myself as the option person, as the let's try as a scientist, like let's hypothesize about what a solution could look like. And then let's play that out either in a select sample or by trying it, right? And so I think that like people, we, we haven't ever been told that we could have something else. We only have been sh you know shown that there's this one option right? That is not good. And then there's this other option. There's this option that's not good or nothing. That's the only two things we've been told, right? But we know that there's so much space in the middle between those, you know, nothing and this really terrible option. The goal is to like get together and figure out what works for our community, what works for us to keep each other safe. Because the thing is, is that in places where police are over-policing, it's not safer to the people who live in that community. It's not that things don't get stolen. And the and police aren't like bringing back TVs that are stolen or laptops, right? They're just like, they don't care about that enough. I think we need to invest more money in like some of the social services. We need to invest money in like mental health care for people. Um, we need to invest in like just regular plain old, like why don't people have health care? Like everyone should have that. Um, ensuring that people have food and clothing and housing. And there are countries, other countries who who have these models and they're being they're successful at them, right? Like now the only difference is that they're largely countries with, you know, overwhelmingly white populations. And that's why. Or even to bring it more narrow, like in Portland, like people are always like, oh, Portland is like this, you know, liberal utopia where everything is good. Except when I went to Portland, I saw the Black people um, and the people of color being harassed by the police, even though there was, you know, much fewer of them than there were, you know, all of the white people around. And so, when are we going to be able to have these conversations about the truth about why policing is harmful to our community? And so we don't do enough polit political education. We don't have enough conversations about this. But it's it's really, that's where I would say the failure of imagination is, is that when you're a little kid, you're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because you're being, you know, your brain is being formed to be part of this like capitalist structure, right? It doesn't ask you like, we're not asked like, what kind of world do you wanna live in when you grow up? Do you wanna live in a world where there's no police? Do you wanna live in a world where you can walk down the street and it doesn't matter what you're wearing? And you know, like people respect each other's like bodily autonomy. Like we have no concept of that because we don't teach children about that. We teach them the lie and we're socialized into the lie that police are there for us very early from McGruff the crime dog to dare, uh, you know, on drugs. None of that has kept us any safer than anything. Like, nothing. So I'm an 80s kid. So full-scale propaganda, right? I think we all, like, close. Full-scale propaganda, you name it. Like, everything, even the cartoons were, like, Police Academy was one of the big movie franchises of the 80s. So, so I completely understand that, where this is just kind of, like, spoon-fed to us where the reality is different. I did a little digging. I went to this, I don't know if calling it lovely is appropriate, but it's very 
handy and informative, I went to policescorecard.org, which just had, they analyzed data on, it's over 13,000 police departments across the U.S. And so I looked, I, I checked First of all, I looked at the city that's always on people's lips when they start talking about violence. I looked specifically at Chicago. One of the reasons I looked at Chicago is because of the gift that keeps on giving Lori Lightfoot. She was, it, last February, she was in the hot seat because she diverted $281 million in COVID-19 funding and discretionary funding. She diverted that to the police. Now, for the time frame, we're talking February. This is before we even have widely available vaccines. So before we even know what's before there was an idea of what came next with COVID, over half of the money was gone to the police force. When I started looking at the scorecard, there's a hundred percent that you can you can possibly get and they weigh you, they have a specific they have an algorithm where they analyze four major things and those things are let me get it right because i do not want to they focus on funding police violence accountability and enforcement and enforcement is specifically are they prosecuting people for low level crimes this is not for violent crimes this is for low level offenses nonviolent offenses things like that so for a place like chicago where the population is majority black and brown. Even if you just look at black people, 29% of the population in Chicago is black. They account for 72% of arrests. 74% of the people who are killed by the police are black. This is for a 29% population, but 74% of the people killed by the police are black. Their funding is 1.7 billion and their fines and forfeitures, $3.06 billion a year. So twice their funding. So this is this is Chicago. This is what we're dealing with in a city that's pr primarily, predominantly black and brown. So I went to the city that had the best rating, Blaine, Minnesota, which is 78% white. Uh, sorry, let me backtrack on Chicago. Their funding averages out to $653 per resident, just to their, their police funding, $653 per resident in their budget. Blaine, Minnesota is only $167 per resident. And from 2003 to 2020, there were zero police killings. But then when you start looking, when you dig deeper into some a place with these great stats, you look at the fact that even though the percentage of Black people is only 7%, they still make up 21% of the arrests. It's not subtle, the purpose of policing. It was born of racism and they don't have to say it anymore. Like once you if I bake a chocolate cake, I don't have to keep putting chocolate on top of it and telling you the cake is chocolate. You know it's chocolate. And this is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with policing in communities when the communities are white as opposed to when the communities are Black. And that has to be analyzed. I can also talk about my city of New Orleans, which I love. I've been back here for a year. Our police budget this year is going up $16 million going to be $193,822. I'm sorry, sorry, $193,822,403 for a population of just under 400,000 people. I live in New Orleans East, which is predominantly Black. Before Hurricane Katrina, there were two hospitals. After Hurricane Katrina from 2005 to 2014, we had none. Now we just have one. One of the two hospitals was changed to a site for a Walmart which is one of only three grocery stores, three full service grocery stores in an area that services 20% of the city's population. So when you start looking at what defunding the police means, there are all these places that are just obviously neglected while they're throwing money in, in the police's purse. So I want to ask, what is it, what is it that we can do from our standpoint to to start envisioning a world where policing is more under control, where we're not living in a carceral state? What are some of the steps that we can take? So, yeah, so that's exactly it. Recognizing the history of policing, recognizing that policing started out as a means of maintaining property and that property being Black bodies. 
And that's the the statistics that you were talking about are, you know, those are microcosms of what is happening all over the country that it doesn't matter how little the number of Black people are in the area. They're always going to be over-policed. They're always going to be arrested more. They're always going to have more interactions. And for that reason, that's why we have to start thinking about what does it look like? Now, what does it look like? It looks like, again, the the amount of money that we spend on policing and the word defund. I think is so charged that what if we don't talk about like defunding the police? What if we just talk about funding other things, right? Like instead of defunding the police, what if we funded mental health? Because in the in New Orleans East, what you're talking about is I heard a food desert. I heard a lack of resources for healthcare. And that means that people are going to have more wants and needs in other places that have more resources in their community. It just, that's just how it works. And so that means that when people need healthcare, they're going to go to the emergency room instead of like maybe an urgent care or another hospital or a doctor's office because they don't have those resources. And so we start thinking about, well, what do we want to do? Like, what do we want to offer to their communities? Like, do we need police officers in schools? And like K through 12 education, is that helping protect the students in any way? What if instead of like, police officers, we had more resources being put to education programs, after school care, food, just like basic food and income for um, the families to be able to live. Like there's this idea of a universal basic income that, you know, municipalities could offer to residents and pay residents to help out with resources. And I think the studies have shown in places, for example, in the Twin Cities of St. Paul, in Minneapolis, St. Paul has your universal basic income. They have more resources. They have more access to programming for um, folks who need it. And in Minneapolis, they don't, right? And so they have more money that goes to their police department, which recently just underwent, the, the community was voting about whether to defund the police department or divest resources from the police department to a public safety department. A public safety department could be whatever we want it to be. It could be a place where there is mediation. It could be a place where people go to solve disputes using, you know, restorative justice or transformative justice or alternative dispute resolution. It could be a place where instead of, you know, we go to find out ways to be harmful to people or accuse people who we think have wronged us, but like go to find median, median ground and like, understand okay and like why did you do this thing maybe it wasn't meant to hurt me intentionally maybe you didn't have resources maybe you didn't have food maybe you needed to sell you know whatever so that you can try to take care of your family all of the things that keep us at odds with each other and figuring out why that is happening i think that that is what we can do to do that it's 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 caring about your neighbors it's about if you live in a, an apartment community and you know that there is someone who might be experiencing harm, intimate partner violence, it's asking if you can help that person, asking if there's anything that you can do, not just pretending that it doesn't happen or turning a blind eye. It's actually putting yourself in the way of harm, which may seem scary, but at some point, if we all take the step to stand up for someone else, eventually, like, we're going to be, everybody will be standing up for each other, right? Like, if we continue to think about and plot out, what do I want? What do I want? I don't want to live in a world with police. So what does that mean that I need to be safe? And how does that happen? When we start talking about this type of care for people, there gets, there's a lot of pushback. This is an uphill conversation. When we start talking about the simple matter of caring for people, You start hearing that it is leftist propaganda. You hear that it's quixotic and and that there's this fantasy world. But what what horror show do you want to live in when you are completely fine with a system that does not work? Police departments, by and large, have not been defunded. And yet, crime continues. This is probably among the most violent times that I remember, like 
once again, going back, being, being an 80s kid, like we know what that was like when people were without, when people were financially desperate, when, when crack <laughs> originally was, was flooding our streets. I live in the house where I grew up and I remember there was a certain time of day where I'd be doing my homework and I would hear gunshots. I'm 45 back in this house and there's still a certain time of day and I'm hearing gunshots. I'm hearing actually more gunshots than I did before. And this is just having a car, for example, in New Orleans is a crapshoot. You might see it when you come back out. They will get in your car at the gas station. And part of it is because there is a lack of anything else. Everyone flips out when we say defund the police. Education has been getting defunded for decades, absolute decades. And there is a direct relation to the decline of society and the increase in crime and the decrease in educational budgets. And yet when we say, hey, maybe we don't just throw guns at this, you're looked at like you have a five-year-old outlook on the world as opposed to us being taxpayers, us being citizens and deserving a certain quality of life. We've, and this is not something, this isn't a, a, a left or right issue. This is an uphill, this is an uphill battle on both sides of the aisle. This is not something that's partisan. This is a, this is a minority group that, or still a minority group for now, that is, that is pushing against even good people with, who, tend to have liberal ideas who are just like, yeah, I get that, but I still need people to go to jail. So we look at, there's a uh, Cori Bush who is getting a lot of flack because she will not abandon saying defund the police. When there are politicians like that, when there are organizations like that, where do you find your space to help them to dig into the work? How do you, how do you address fitting in to, to become part of the change that you want to see in this world without policing as we know it currently? Yeah. So for me, that is why I do a lot of the trainings that I do, a lot of the political education and community education that I do. And some of those include teaching like everyday people about their First Amendment rights and how to exercise them it's like basically a know your rights class or a how not to get arrested class. And it taught like that class kind of talks about all levels of interaction with police. I think that the other thing is that people just don't know. Like we're not doing the abolitionist community is we're kind of insular at this moment. Like, you know, you know. And so I think that we have like the, the language of defund the police has actually muddied the waters of exactly what is needed right now. This, and that's political education and conversation. And I think that when we present to people the idea of something else and like having an honest conversation where it's not littered again with what if the murderers, what if all of these people, what if, but what if we didn't have police? What would that mean for your community? Or, or ask people like, Tell me about your personal interactions with police or about people that you know who interact with police. It's about changing the mind frame from thinking that this is the only way to recognizing that there are so many other ways that we could live. We just never even thought about it because no one told us, no one gave us permission, but we have to recognize that we have permission, right? To go ahead and, and make a change. Like, I don't want to, any neighborhood I've ever lived in, I'm always like, if I have, you know, an issue with the neighbor, I'm not going to call the police. We're going to talk about it like humans who got to figure out how to live in this world with each other, right? That's what we have to get back to. It's like, when you were young and you were, you should have been taught about how to solve problems and, and resolve conflicts with people. Like, I don't think we had enough resources around that. And thinking about just because somebody has harmed you does not mean that they deserve to then also be harmed, right? Or just because somebody has taken from you doesn't mean that they deserve to be put in you know, a facility that were, again, supervised by another type of police force like the average, I think the average like incident of a sexual assault by a someone who works at a prison to someone who's like currently incarcerated in a prison is like every five days. That's a guard or, or a police guard harming someone every five days. That means that 
that even when you're going to be penitent, when you're going to be held accountable for your actions, you're going into a whole other system where you're then being harmed, right? And other trauma is being put upon you. So then when you come back to the space where now as a rehabilitated, you know, you know, person, you're supposed to fit back into the system how can you do that when we have not addressed the harms that have happened to you we haven't addressed like what caused you to get there in the first place the food desert that you lived in which means there's no grocery stores around you or in the case you know what like you were talking about like a walmart where there's no like union to be able to make sure that there's like really good health care and make sure that folks have what they need and we're divesting from schools and instead replacing teachers with police officers right i saw on the twitterverse last week in oklahoma there is a school where there are so many teachers who have been out from like COVID that they've been having local police force come in and teach, substitute teach for the students. And I'm just thinking like, my God, those children, like what what could they be learning from someone who is coming into a space just to keep order, not to love them, not to teach them, not to nurture them, not to say, hey, you're safe or to, to do anything but to keep order. And we saw like the spate of like what happens when police officers are put in situations with children and they become abusive to them. We've, we've seen this. And so it's, we keep recycling bad information. We keep like, we're in a hamster wheel of bad ideas that we refuse to get off of because it's what we know, right? And so instead of like deciding, you know what, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good for, you know, children to be at harmed at the hands of police. It doesn't feel good for, you know, like people who are survivors of rape feel uncomfortable to report it to police, right? These things don't happen because the police are keeping us safe. This is because they're not keeping us safe. Absolutely. And one of the things that we can't ignore is that it's no more unrealistic to expect to be able to remove resources from a neighborhood, to remove things like food, to remove quality education, and expect the quality of life to remain. If you have not given, when the tools are taken from neighborhoods and then ostensibly thrown into police budgets, it's there's no more factual basis for that being, being uh, a realistic solution than crafting something else. This is this has been in place for years and it does not work. It has gotten progressively worse. We may have very small lulls in crime, but those things are just as they're as as strong and as continuing as the people who are going to uphold these institutions. One of my favorite tweeters says that all the time. I won't say her name because she'll kill me, but <laughs> she says that all the time. Our institutions are as strong as the people who are charged with upholding them. And so there's this issue where there's no oversight because that's another that's another major issue. There's not an allocation for oversight. There's If there were a balance in funding, then that would be different. But when there's... when Teachers have to buy notebooks and police have tanks. It doesn't add up and you cannot, you can call me whatever you want. You can call me a Marxist, but I'm a person who's actually using common sense. This It's imbalanced and it doesn't work. And this is a very big conversation that will not just end this week. We're actually going to be back. If I can, I wanted to just talk on two points that both of you had brought up. This idea that accountability, I feel, is at the heart of what a lot of these conversations are about. We are accountable to one another as neighbors and as a community. And yet accountability f does not apply to this to the police. I, I feel they are in many ways above the law. They know that they're above the law, which is why a lot of these aggressions happen. I posted both links to the mapping police violence as well as the police scorecard into the chat. And I encourage you all to visit these sites and take a good look. If you use the keyword police on ResistBot, text police to 50409 and you'll get to see some statistics relevant to your specific districts. Yeah, you're you're right, Mel. These These facts exist outside of our belief system or not. But it's also this idea that when what other system or what other government 
entity or I guess defense, you could say, or what other business, if you just want to make it about capitalist terms, do they completely and abjectly fail at doing something? And yet we continue to think, oh, we'll give them more money so they can continue to do it better when they're not doing it better in the first place. So just there's this common sense of this idea that like you're not good at protecting our society or our community. Yet if for some reason, if we continue to fund you or even increase our funding for you, you will somehow miraculously turn around your ability to protect and, and serve a community. So that doesn't really exist outside of this police model. Yet for whatever reason, we have this jingoistic, compelled state or, or, or tradition in this country to continue to support something that is clearly broken and not working. Just lastly, just this idea that like, I think we need to look at ourselves and what exactly about that are we trying to uphold and maintain as a status quo? What about that policing of one another? What about that of funding things that do not work? I mean, this is how you get bankrupt business people running the government when you somehow think you can weave this narrative of success and, and security with things that are completely failing society. So that's all I wanted to say about that. And when you look at infrastructure crumbling around it, we just had we just had in Pittsburgh, my, my other home, we just had in Pittsburgh, a bridge collapsed. A bridge collapsed that was, I believe, reported in 2019 and recorded as, as being reported to 311 in 2019 or 2018. And it collapsed <laughs> with a bus on it, with people on it. And this before is the president visited the it. day <laughs> of the president's visit. This is what we're dealing we're, we're dealing with cities, major cities, the infrastructure crumbling and police have tanks. And that's the argument. And we can't, it's, it's just, it's very similar to um, when we were talking about abortion last week, we're so stuck on should we, shouldn't we, is it right? Is it wrong? We don't get into the meat and potatoes of the actual execution and dealing with the issues within. There are a lot of issues. There are a lot of fine points that would have to be worked out in defunding the police. Defund the police does not mean that your police department is going to be gone tomorrow. There's a sense of realism. I'm a realist. I do know that there are certain things that need a different amount of care, a different type of oversight that needs to be developed. We need to look into that. That needs to be explored because if I were to come on this job and be harmful and wrong week after week, I will have resisted my last bot. I'm gonna be out of here. So the fact that the police can continue to be ineffective and have people argue for the sake of this broken model is just beyond the pale of ridiculous. And it's something that before we before we forget, I'm gonna let you talk, Athena, but I wanna make sure that we mention our petitions that we have. We have two petitions. One of those petitions is defund police, fund communities. So if you wanna support that, so far it has 117 signers. Right now our goal is 250. So you can text 50409, Text, I'm sorry, M is in Mary, G is in George, S is in Sam, N is in Nancy, J is in Jason, F is in Frank, to 50409. And you can also, once you sign it, you can promote it. So you can also text promote to drive more signers. The other petition is defund and demilitarize the police, which is one of my favorites because I still think it's absolutely ridiculous that police have tanks. This one, we have nine signers. Our goal is 10. So are you that somebody? You can text F is in Frank, E is in elephant, P is in penny, Q is in quick, G is in George to 50409. And again, you can also text promote. That's you. F is in Frank, E is in elephant, P is in penny, Q is in quick, G is in George. 50409 to drive more signers. I'm sorry, Athena, you had something that you wanted to to come in uh, on. Just to build on, because you know, this is we're, we're this is part education, this is part amplifying voices, but this idea that an appeal to people who are freaking out when they hear abolition and freaking out when they hear defund, like what an appeal for people and this affects everybody, regardless of where you might be on that political spectrum an appeal to think about what is that uncomfort seated in. I think there is a sense that, well, if I get my Amazon package stolen from my porch, who do I call or who will I, who, who will fix that? There's, and in my exploration of that, I think it comes down to this accountability issue. 
It's this idea that as a society, if I can say it's a police person's job to protect me, if it's a police person's job to keep everybody in line, if it's a police officer's role to take care of that, that relinquishes any responsibility or accountability that you have for your neighborhood, for your cities, for your communities, and for your people. So for people who might be experiencing that, which is something that I feel might be a case where a large majority of folks that might be listening here today, I would encourage you to find ways to engage with your community, whether that be through mutual aid, whether that means reading about people doing the work, whether that means finding organizations to dream a better future together and find out what that gap could look like between where we are now and what we need to what Rhea talked about. It has to be a conversation, right? No, abolitionists do not have the answers. Nobody has the answers. And if they tell you they have the answers, you should be especially suspicious of them too. But it needs to be grounded and fostered in communication and open dialogue with people. And we can't even get to that yet. So this is gonna be a process. And I'm thankful for community and for leadership from folks who have their heart in the right place. We want people to be fed. We want them to be housed. We want folks to have the resources necessary to get proper health care and mental health uh, resources too. So if that is our, a just and happy society is what we're trying to work for, it's gonna take all of us doing our part to make that happen. And again, today's discussion, police just doesn't seem to be a part of this from what the last centuries of this country's existence, this model, this chocolate cake, if you will, that doesn't need any more chocolate to tell us that it's chocolate cake. And also, we have diabetes, so and we, we, do. we do. <laughs> uh, there's this great article that I read. It was uh, from Brookings, Seven Myths About Defunding the Police. And one of the things that I uh, appreciated most, because since we've been hearing it more often in recent years, it people think of this as some fly-by-night, oh, yeah, this is just a new thing. No, there's 60 years. There's there's 60 years, according to this article, there's 60 years of data that back up how increases in spending do nothing to reduce crime. So you have to ask, why do I want money thrown at this when there are other things that I know you see that need repair, that need funding? Why aren't you pushing for those things? We're going to talk more next week. And I'm very excited because Rhea is going to be back with us. I'm very excited about that. We're going to talk more about this. And we're also going to talk about prison abolition. I wanted to give both of those their own space because they both need, last week, that has what polls say. It's like 59% of people agree. A little extra care. And this isn't something like abortion. We had the conversation about abortion like that. That row should be upheld. We start talking about defunding the police, abolition. We start getting in the teens. So this isn't one of our more popular conversations, but it is a necessary conversation because policing as we know it is not working. And we need to have the facts to understand what the conversation actually is. So Rhea, I want to thank you. Before we go, can you tell the people where to find you? Sure. I'm on Twitter. Like most people, you can find me at Twitter, Mrs. WNDC, M-R-S-D-U-B-Y-I-N-D-C. And then other than that, you can find me in the streets coming to a protest near you, probably. I love it. And Athena? Yes, ma'am. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for keeping this conversation going. I think we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to work on, both in our cities and in ourselves. So... I look forward to continue to have the space to explore what some of these questions are and find solutions and just keep moving forward, as they say. We'll see you next time then. Yeah, thank you so much. This is one of those conversations that will be more difficult than some of the others that we've had to deal with. That's just, I think, the name of the game. When we start dealing with violent crime, when we start dealing with people who have offended us. We're dealing, when we look at, right now in Canada, there's a, a, a there are protests and we're dealing with people who are not Black or Brown. And we can see the difference in how, how the police are dealing with them. And it's palpable. It's so there's more than, than enough work to go around. And I want to thank all of you for joining us this week. I also want to give a little shout out to our new monthly donors. We have a few. Uh, We have Alex from Tacoma, Washington, Elizabeth from North Las Vegas, 
Elizabeth from Toluca Lake, California. Jacqueline from Cary, North Carolina. Mahak from Seattle, Washington. Phyllis from Stamford, Connecticut. Krista from Fargo, North Dakota. Eben from Gainesville, Florida. Ellen from Roselle, New Jersey. And Walter from Chicago, Illinois. Thank you all for supporting us. This is how we're able to do what we do every week. If you would like to donate, you can go to resist.bot and donate. If you, and also, if you want to learn more, if you would like to start a petition of your own, text RESIST to 50409. We also have our blog that goes up every week, and they'll be in the show notes. Susan Stutz wrote some amazing articles, uh, like she does every week, that really talk about the origin of policing and what defunding looks like. Whenever we have a, a conversation, you can always count on Susan having a great article. So we appreciate her and hopefully she'll be back with us soon. And until next time, you can follow us. You can find us next week. We'll be talking prison abolition at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can also subscribe to our podcast at resistbot.live. And again, don't forget to use the hashtag livebotters to be part of the conversation. So I want to thank you all for joining, and we'll see you next week. ResistBot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple. iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message ResistBot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more resources, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating robust public policy or voter turnout campaigns. And we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a nonprofit social welfare organization built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. ResistBot Live is moderated by Melanie Dion. Our regular panel includes Athena Foulet, Christine Liu, Susan Stutz, and Dr. Joseph Kuhill. Thank you for listening.